Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Turn Evangelism Podcast with T.S. Myers. Our prayer is that this message impacts your life. If it does, let us know by going to turnevangelism.com forward slash connect and let us know how God used this message to influence you. If you would like to follow our ministry, we would love for you to go to turnevangelism.com and check us out. God, I just want to pray right now that you would just fill this place with your presence. Lord, that your spirit would work in the hearts of these, these people, God, this congregation, that they would listen to you, that it wouldn't just be another Sunday where they come in and fulfill their civic duty, but rather they come in and they, they walk away knowing that they heard your voice. Lord, I pray that they would submit themselves to you right now in the quietness of their seats and pray, God, speak. Your servant is listening. As we open up your word, I pray that it strikes the heart and divides the heart. Deep, God, that you would just point out to us what we need to do, how we need to live, and remind us of the goodness of your mercy and your gospel, Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the sermon that I've prepared for you is a very interesting sermon. Because before I ever knew that I was going to be preaching here, I started uh, doing something. I started saying, okay, God, I'm going to write some messages. And you put me where you want me to be, right? So I started writing. And one of my favorite writers is Oswald Chambers. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. And in one of his devotionals, in My Utmost for His Highest, he talks about, in Mark chapter 3, how the man with the shriveled hand stretched forth his hand, and Jesus never touched the man's hand. He just called the man, stretch forth your hand. And what did the man have to do? In faith, he had to be obedient to the Lord and stretch forth his hand. And as he was obedient, what happened? The man's hand was healed. And I think this is a good analogy of what faith is in our lives is God has put a calling on your life, and he's put one on my life as well. And he's called me to preach his gospel. And so I, I, I was stretching forth my hand. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm going to start writing this sermon, and you're going to provide the church for me. And so I stretched forth my hand, and, and literally within a week or two, Chris Allen, the guy from Southeastern who does the pulpit supplies, called me and said, hey, would you be willing to preach at this church? And so let me tell you this, my sermon was basically, and I tweaked it last night, so don't worry, there's, there's some tweaks that did, but it was basically written before I ever met you guys. And I pray that it's what God wants you to hear. It's in Colossians chapter 1, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to open there so you don't have to turn there when we start reading from it. But I want to start off with this question. What does Christianity have to offer that the world does not You know, we live in a culture right now where if it finds out that you've done something wrong in your past, it will cancel you, right? And when you look at some of these things, and maybe you're a believer, and you're looking at some of these things, not all of them, some of them are are a little out there, but some of them you're like, well, it's true, that is wrong, but the response has no redemption, right? And so there is a point to where we need to say, okay, we acknowledge the truth behind it, but at the same time, there's no redemption. 
And this is what I want to present to you today. The world does not know how to tell the truth. I don't mean that it lies, though sometimes it does. I mean that when it tells the truth, it tells it in a way that doesn't properly represent God. And when the world has claims to something that it thinks is true and it's convinced of, it yells and it fights and it does it in an ungodly way. It backstabs, it usurps, it ultimately works selfishly, it works to win the argument. But even though God does not want you to compromise the truth, his goal in telling you the truth is not to win an argument, but to win you. And our goal needs to be the same. We need to be on fire for Christ, not compromising the truth, but in order to win people for Jesus. Will we step on toes? Yes, we will. The gospel by its very nature, even the scripture says, is a stumbling block. A stumbling block is another word for an offense. People will be offended at the gospel, at the truth of Jesus Christ. It's going to happen. Well, at the same time, when we present it, we need to present it in such a way that presents the truth with love. So what does God do? He deals with conflict. He tells the truth, but he always presents the truth with grace. John chapter 1, verse 14 says that the Word became flesh, speaking about Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So let's be careful here not to misinterpret the Word of God. Jesus still spoke the truth. He did not compromise the truth. And when you do this, you will offend people. I tell you what, right now I'm overweight, okay? And I know it. You know why? Because I step on a scale and the scale doesn't lie to me. I want it to. I really do, you know? But the thing is, the scale is a truth teller. And no matter whether I like it or not, it's not thinking about how I feel. It's, it's just telling me the truth. And it doesn't make me feel good to find out that I'm overweight. Now, I'm, I am on the keto diet, by the way, guys. Okay. My goal is to get back in shape. My, we had our first child last year, and, you know, a lot of things happened. I gained some weight. But then, we, th- then I know that I need to get back in shape. And so what do I do? Because something told me the truth, I take steps then to remedy it. I don't boast about my weight and so deny the truth, as James would say. I don't take confidence in, oh, this is just who I am. I say, no, I need to make an adjustment. Why? Because the truth was told to me. Jesus still spoke the truth without compromise. And when you do this, you're just going to offend people. But in bringing the truth, he also brought grace as well. In other words, he did not just come to tell us, we're all bad and I'm going to leave you here. You're bad and I'm just getting out of here. No, he came to tell us that we're dead in our sins, but God has provided salvation. So what does it mean to walk in grace and truth? I don't want you to see this as something that you need to balance. As if they're two opposing forces that you need to live with in tension. That's not the way I want you to see this. I want you to see this as two complementary things instead. They complement one another. That is, we never compromise the truth, but when we do tell the truth, we need to strive to tell it with the grace of God in mind. 
That this person is a child loved by God, who God desperately wants to save. So we do tell them the truth for their sake as well, but we tell it with the end in mind being we want to win them for Jesus, right? On the other hand, we never compromise God's grace either. We don't set it aside. You know, Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, uh, verse 21, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be obtained by the law through what I did, Christ died for nothing. So we don't set aside the grace of God. We don't compromise the grace of God either. But when we speak about the grace of God, we tell it with the truth in mind, not withholding anything about the gospel's message. That means if the gospel is saying that we are sinners, we need to tell people, hey, look, we are sinners. We are all bad, but there's a remedy behind it. It means that if the gospel message includes something that makes people uncomfortable, like a doctrine of hell, we still present it. Because we don't get to choose what God says is true. What is actually reality. We present it, but we say, but there's a remedy for it. And we present it with grace as well. These are not opposing forces, but there's there's things that we need to hold as complementary to one another. That whenever I speak the truth, I speak the truth in grace. And whenever I present the grace, I present it without compromising the truth. In fact, grace becomes less powerful when you compromise the truth. Because there's two things that are needed for you to receive the grace of God. One is that you're weak. And two is that God is the one who's strong. You're receiving from Him, not yourself. And if you could do it, that would be setting aside the grace of God, wouldn't it? So we're going to be talking about Paul. He was no stranger to conflict. In the church of Colossae, some heresy had started to seep in to that church. Some false teaching. But let me give you some background on the book. Paul wrote this book, and he's probably in his first Roman imprisonment. He writes to Colossae, a church in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey, Paul didn't plant this church, but was writing from apostolic authority, from his own authority, to correct a false teaching that had taken place in the church. How do we know there's a false teaching? Well, probably a man named Epiphras that we're going to be introduced to in the first chapter, a leader in the church, probably is the one who told Paul about this false teaching. So what was the false teaching of Colossae? They taught that people didn't just need Jesus, but they needed Jesus plus something else. So they taught that people did need Jesus, but they also needed more than Jesus in order to be right before God. This teaching claimed a superior wisdom and gave wisdom regulations as well. You need to do this in order to be right with God. You need to do that in order to be right with God. So it was ascetic, which basically means that you're thinking of abstaining from things in order to be right with God. You're you're doing this work in order to be right with God. You might see people whipping themselves, right? This would be a form of asceticism. Now, I'm not saying that they did this, okay? this, This church claimed a special knowledge, and they promoted Jewish practices such as circumcision, dietary laws, and festival observations. And Paul comes along with authority and reminds them that true wisdom is in Christ alone, not the rules. Henry Blackaby, in his book Experiencing God, talks about how Christianity is not a bunch of rules to obey, but a person to follow. Are you following Christ? Or are you here because you think it's a bunch of rules to obey? Do you know God Or are you here because you think you're doing your civic duty? You see, Paul understood 
but it's about a person to follow. And so what you'll see him do is he actually points to the supremacy and the preeminence of Christ in this chapter. But before he ever gets into correcting the Colossian error, he does a few things. And this is what we're going to focus on this morning. I want you to notice this. Before Paul ever gets into the Colossian error, he shows the Colossians how much he cares about them. He shows them how much he loves them. And I think that we could use what Paul is doing here as a model to how we should address conflict or areas in our life when we disagree with other people or we know that they're going against the Scripture. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read to verse 4. It says this, Paul, an apostle, so what is Paul doing here right off the bat? He's showing that he has the authority to speak to them. An apostle is the highest position in the church. And by claiming this authority, he's saying, hey, look who I am. You need to listen. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people or saints in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's holy people. What does Paul not do? He doesn't say, To Colossae, what are you thinking, guys? Get it together! No, the first thing he does is he praises their faithfulness. He praises their faithfulness. What we find at the beginning of Colossians is that though Paul asserts the truth of his authority as an apostle, he proceeds to be gracious with this congregation and handle them gently. He then proceeds to exhort and encourage them before he ever corrects their error. Today, I want you to notice how Paul exhorts them. What does he do? Two things he does here. He appeals to them about God, and then he appeals to God about them. And when you do this, it does something. It lets people know your heart and your hope for them. It's not about you being right. It's about them being corrected eternally, right? It's about them. It reminds people who are genuinely believers who they are and who they should be looking to. It opens their hearts for God to do the work. When I was pastoring at Conway, we oftentimes would have deacon meetings. And if there was a conflict in the deacon meeting, you know what would happen? We'd go back and forth. There would be a back and forth, and there would be discuss- and there would be a tension. And there was this deacon. His name was Linwood. I fell in love with this man. Okay, who would have known? I could have been be friends with someone who's in their eighties, right? And this guy was just amazing. And I, I learned. He still calls me to this day, right? And it's amazing to see him grow in the Lord as well. But he would stop the deacons' meeting if this was happening, if there was conflict, and he would stop us and he would pray. And when he would pray and we would refocus on the things of the Lord, all of a sudden, the atmosphere of the room changed. Well, why? Because we wanted to do God's will, but sometimes we get in the way. And we forget this, even as believers, even as deacons and pastors. We had to refocus and refocus one another, and we still have to do this often. We have to reorient ourselves to the message of the gospel and remember why we're here. 
So what does Paul do before he tells the Colossians the truth of their erroneous teaching? He praises their faithfulness. And how does he do this? He points to what they have been faithful in. They have had great faith, which led to love. In conflict, you can always find, you can always try to find something to praise in the opposing person. My roommate, before I got married to my wife, I lived with a roommate in Miami. And we would talk about going on dates and things like that. And he would say, like, on a date, you know, you could all, if, you, if the date's going terrible, you can always find something to be complimentary and kind towards that person with. And so, you can, so maybe you're at a meal, and this is a terrible date. And so my friend would say, but you're at the table, and you really like ketchup. And you say, man, this ketchup is great, right? You can always find something. You can always find... This is the thing. And so this, this became a saying in my life. When you're talking to people and, and you're loving on people, maybe you need to correct people. Find the ketchup. <laughs> find the ketchup. And when you do, even if it's hard, you can find something. I'm sure there's something. Maybe you like their shoes. I don't know. But find the ketchup. It softens things. When we find the ketchup, it, it benefits those who are listening, and it opens them up to receive what we have to say. It also softens us as well. To remember our sole goal isn't to be right and to get them right, but it's, it's to help them. Before Paul ever corrects the Colossian heirs, so what does he do? He praises their faithfulness. And secondly, what you're going to see that he does in this next passage is he points to the gospel. So he praises their faithfulness, and he points to the gospel. Did this message draw you closer to God, or did you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior today? We want to hear about it. Let us know by going to turnevangelism.com forward slash connect and fill out the form at the bottom of the page and tell us what God did in your life through this message. Also, if you would like to bring T.S. Myers out to do ministry with your church or organization, send us a message on our website, turnevangelism.com. Thank you for joining us for this message from Turn Evangelism with T.S. Myers.